everybody. I'm Maggie. And this is Janessa. Hello. And we're here to present to you another true crime case. Before we get started, Janessa, how you been lately? Oh, uh, I don't know why I'm so surprised <laughs> that you asked me that. <laughs> uh, I'm doing okay. It's slow season and also coronavirus. Coronavirus. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm not working as much, which is nice. Too much of it. What about you? How are you doing? I'm good. Yesterday was my daughter's birthday. Yay. She's Eagle. four. She's four. She told me she was five. She's... And that I could be four. Like, it was a gift. <laughs> she, um, we were trying to wean her off of her banky. The only reason for those out there who are thinking about how she's four and still on a banky, she had a really rough year last year and was in the hospital a lot, which is why she still has it. But yesterday, when she went to go take a nap, we started with, well, you're four now, dear, and big girls don't have binkies and she says i want to be three i love her so much she's my favorite with with it being her birthday we did give in we're gonna work on a more a more weaning approach than a cold turkey approach yeah i know um, a lot of parents end up just like throwing them all away and being like i'm done fuck this yeah we might get there we'll see um and i spent part of the last week with you for your birthday oh yeah it was my birthday it was your oh, birthday hey, it was my birthday <laughs> Obviously, I did pretty much nothing but go holiday shopping for mm -hmm. my children. That's how I spent my birthday. But uh, I have my tattoo tomorrow Good. for my arm. And then I got my husband a tattoo session on Friday. Awesome. So we're back-to-back -back tattoo sessions. So today it is my turn to present a case. And mostly because I know that it annoys you. Um, I don't like to tell you. <laughs> Who I've never picked. let on. <laughs> I should have never given you internet. Surprise. So today we're going to be talking about Dorothea Puente. Okay. Surprise. A woman. I like it. There aren't as many women serial killers that we know of. They might just be better at it, worse at it. I don't know. It depends on... Women know how to get blood out of things. <laughs> uh, that was a period joke. I actually came across this in one of my true crime groups that I'm in, and I was like, okay, I haven't heard of this one. Maybe Maggie hasn't heard of it, and maybe other people haven't, so this would be a really good one. So we're going to talk about Dorothea Puente. She was born in California in January of 1929 to Trudy May and Jesse James Gray. Antique. Antique? 1929. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. source said that there were 18 children oh either her or her and some other kids or her and a lot of other kids were subjected to domestic abuse and mm -hmm. violence mm -hmm. um both of their parents unfortunately were heavy alcoholics mm -hmm. and so that attributed to it a lot it is reported that her father regularly would hold a gun to his head in front of the kids and like threaten to kill himself oh 
So obviously that's not good. He never actually did it. He died of tuberculosis when she was nine. Her mom, you know, alone and also an alcoholic, did her best to take care of everybody by herself and she was a sex worker, but unfortunately she died a year later. Yeah. So at 10 years old, Dorothea <laughs> was an orphan and she was sent to orphanages and, you know, foster care and other things like that. And she kind of bounced from house to house and was sexually abused and physically abused in all the different homes. And at 16, I think she kind of saw a way out of, you know, I can stop bouncing from here to here and just get married because I'm 16 yeah. now. Yeah. And she did. She ended up marrying a soldier. A lot of people do that. Like, yeah. Even today. Yeah. Yeah. There's, we saw a couple, you know, my husband come home and be like, so-and-so is just talking shit about their spouse and, but yeah. it's still a real thing. Like people just get married to get out of their living situations. Yeah. It's a sad thing, but it, it happens. You might be in love or you might be infatuated or you might even just be like, well, it's not going to get any better where I am now. In any case, she married Fred McFall at 16 or she was 16 uh, and he was a soldier and she had one child and she couldn't handle it and it ended up giving them away to a family member that didn't live too far away. Mm-hmm. And then shortly thereafter, she actually had a second child and gave that one up for adoption completely mm-hmm. to strangers. After that, her relationship with her husband really just wasn't very good. And she was struggling really hard and she ended up forging checks while she was still married to him. And she got in trouble for it and she got jail time for a year, but she got probation after six months. Okay. And she had a miscarriage in that time. After that, her husband divorced her, and this is in 1950 now. Oh. Yeah, so, you know, we've gone a couple of years, um, but we're in 1950 now. They got married in 1948, so they were only married for two years. Yeah, okay. It wasn't really long. Soon after the divorce, she actually became pregnant with some random guy she didn't really know, and she had a baby and gave it up for adoption, and then she married Axel Johansson, and they were married for 14 years, and he was Swedish, and everybody kind of commented on that for whatever reason. I don't what know. What's her first name again? Dorothea. Do you know where I'm going? I think I might. Okay. All right. Just, just keep it to yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> In any case, their marriage was really rocky. It was not it good. It wasn't great. Yeah. It wasn't a good marriage. In 1960, she was arrested for owning and operating a brothel, uh-huh. and she was sentenced to 90 days for that, which, I mean, a brothel, you know, just let people fuck who they want to fuck. Just legalize it and make money off the taxes. You know, it's consensual. But again, we're in the 1950s, or 60s, I'm sorry. That's uh, consensual. Yeah. That's, <laughs> a, that's a whole other podcast. Gosh. There's a, I have a recommendation for a really good podcast about uh, sex trafficking. It'll be in the show notes. It's really great. So she was sentenced to 90 days for owning and operating the brothel, and she managed it, essentially. Then she was sent to the Sacramento County Jail. She got out, and then shortly after, she was arrested for vagrancy, and she got an additional 90 days. Yeah. After that, you know, she got out, and she got work as a nurse's aide and kind of studied under a nurse and helped nurses out and learned all of that. Okay. And she divorced Johansson in 1966. Very <laughs> shortly after that, I couldn't find the exact time period, but shortly after she divorced Johansson, she married Roberto Puente. So now we know okay. her last name is Puente. Uh, in Mexico City, and it lasted about two years. So she went to Mexico. It didn't say specifically that she lived there. It just said that that's where they were married. Okay. So I can't... 
I can't 100%. Okay. Um, after she divorced him, she was known around town to go to the local bars and prey on older men. And she would get them to sign over their benefits to her or just give her straight up money. Okay. You know, whatever she could. And she was found out about that and had 34 counts of treasury fraud. Cool. Yeah, super cool, right? <laughs> she did a great job. Um, <laughs> we know that she had like this long history of crime and fraud and forgery and but she kept on the up and up as far as her job went yeah because of her 34 counts of forgery they made it so it was illegal for her to handle anybody's financials yeah they also made it illegal for That's her smart. to care for anybody individually mm-hmm. like she could go and work at a hospital but she could not be a caregiver That's smart. because she was hustling these people out of their benefits yeah checks right she did not give a shit <laughs> she absolutely did not care uh, in 1970s, she ended up opening a boarding house for the elderly and the needy in San Francisco. There were a lot of social workers that kind of commented on how she would take on more complicated clientele. Okay. Especially older clientele, which nobody really wanted to care for because there's yeah. obviously a lot more that goes into it. Yeah. You know, and so she was seen kind of like she was going out of her way to help those who really needed her. Yeah. And she looks like an angel. Yeah, you know, this elderly lady just really caring for everybody. Yeah, except if this is the 70s and she was born in 29, mm-hmm. that's math. <laughs> <laughs> just round up to 30 and go to 70. So she's in her 40s. Yeah. yeah. So she's, you know, she's not like some young 21-year-old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. You know, she's, she's like a mom age. Okay. So she's, you know, doing the mom thing and, and taking care of everybody. And she would have some of their doctors prescribe them tranquilizers because she was saying that they were having fits or tantrums okay. and, you know, it kind of help her to take care of them. She was found, again, to be getting her clientele to be signing over their checks to her. And she mm-hmm. got in trouble again mm-hmm. and went back to jail for it. She really just, like, loved jail i'm telling you so much she was Jail's arrested in 1978 and she got five years of probation for forging her tenant signatures on benefits checks again her probation including that she was not to you know do any of that right especially it specifically said run a boarding house like yeah. she was no longer allowed to do that specific thing because they kind of thought okay let me just make sure you know you, you can't do this stop doing everything you're doing just yeah stop yeah so Find she did. Else. She stopped. Then she became an in-home caregiver. Which she wasn't supposed to be doing. she wasn't <laughs> supposed to be doing. Um, I guess she thought maybe they forgot about that part. You know, she really, she really might have. She was doing that and she was convicted again in the 80s of drugging and robbing her clients. Yeah. She would get them all doped up on their medicine and then have them sign their life away essentially. And also a man at a bar. So she was going back to, like, old habits. She was sentenced to five years in prison. Not probation this time. Yeah. She actually got prison time. Um, She only served three and was released on good behavior on parole in September. Yeah, so there's no old men in prison to... Yeah. (laughs) Con out of all their money. Yeah, it's really easy to not do the thing you're not supposed to do when there's no possible way for you to do it. So... (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, you're okay. <laughs> um, but she was released on parole in September of 1985 Wait, with right. a stipulation 
that she was not to run a boarding home, care for the elderly in any way, or handle anybody's checks. So they got her on the new one. You know, they were yeah. like, you can't even care for them. I'm surprised they were like, you can't go to bars anymore. It's tough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so she divorced Johansson in 1966 and shortly thereafter married Roberto Puente in Mexico City. He was 19 years younger than her. Wow. Because of that, he was not very faithful to her, so they only were married for two years. Yeah, was he that her last husband? He was her last husband. Okay. He was her fourth and final husband. Okay. So then she opened her boarding house in Sacramento, and it was three stories and 16 bedrooms. So she had, like, plenty of room okay. to do all the things she was doing. Um, she was taking care of all the elderly people and like homeless people and people who had more problems. She was doing a great job. Um, some people complained and said that she was like really harsh and a stickler about rules or bills and stuff. And other people mm -hmm. said she was completely fine. It was kind of all over the place because she was taking care of homeless people. The cops kind of got interested in particularly one person's behavior. His name was chief. And she just kept having him do random things. At one point, she had him come over and dig a bunch of stuff out of the basement and haul it out and then pour concrete. Okay. Um, at another point, she had him take down a garage and then put more concrete, like a whole slab over there. Whatever it's concrete, man. <laughs> I know. I debated, I debated putting all this in here, too, because I was like, this is going to jump you to where I'm going. Uh, but I guess we all kind of know where this is going. It's murder. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Oh, no. <laughs> In any case, um, they started to look into it, and then Chief, you know... Disappeared? Yeah. Being the vagrant he was... Vagranted away. Vagranted away. <laughs> I don't know if that's an adjective or a verb we're doing there. <laughs> um, in any case... So that was really the first time that anybody kind of questioned her, but nothing weird happened. Like, he just did some weird stuff, and then he was gone. Yeah, she just refinished her basement and didn't want a garage. She wanted a patio. Yeah, yeah. And then he was a vagrant, and now he's gone, and that's what they do. And anytime they came to question her, you know, she always had answers for things. Mm -hmm. So being, you know, a middle-aged woman at this point, almost in her 60s, yeah, you know, in April of 1982, Ruth Monroe came to live with Puente at her upstairs apartment, but she died from an overdose of codeine and Tylenol and was reported to be very depressed because her husband was terminally ill and, you know, thought maybe it was a suicide. And the cops were like, man, that really sucks for this 61-year-old woman. Yeah. A few weeks later, they actually came back after um, a man accused her of drugging him and robbing him. Not like she doesn't have a history of doing this. Yeah, anything. so they believed him. He was an older man in his 70s, um, and she actually was sentenced to serve five years in jail, and this is when she began the correspondence with Everson Gilmouth, who lived in Oregon. Okay. She's in San Francisco. Then they were, they were talking and had like a pen pal friendship romance thing, what have you, but he was very much so in love with her to the point where he told his sister, I'm moving to Sacramento. I'm going to marry her. So when he packed up and left and disappeared, he, said he, he already to. said he was going to. He went and picked her up. He was waiting in his truck when she got out of jail. Their relationship was bam, bam, bam. You know, he wanted to marry her and, and they got all the paperwork together. They okay. opened up a joint bank account. And this was in the 80s? 
Yes, this was in the 80s. Okay, there's no, like, cell phones to be like, hey, I'm here, or Yeah, no, like, it was normal, you know, especially if you run off with somebody you love and you, like, person to person are like, I'm in love with this person. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not going to be like, oh, God, can I get your fingerprints to validate that this is you? (laughs) You know? Um, Unlike other cases where we just message people that we're fine or we email them. That we're on vacation. Um, I know you're supposed to pick me up, but uh, I'm I'm just gonna go yeah, on a trip. Yeah, I don't feel good. From... I'm gonna go on vacation. <laughs> um, but in any case, you know they they got working really fast on their relationship with wedding plans. So they opened a bank account. You know he made her a executor, pretty much of of all of his benefits and retirement yeah. packages and everything like that. And they paid six hundred dollars a month for the upstairs apartment in Sacramento. In any case, in November of 85, she hired a man uh, named Flores to install some wood paneling, and he charged her $800 for Mm -hmm. everything. She decided to try and instead barter with him and ended up giving him a red Ford pickup truck, much like the one that she was picked up in when she got out of jail. Um, she stated that it belonged to her boyfriend who was in LA and didn't need it anymore. And then she asked Flores to do one more thing for her. She just needed him to really quickly build her a box that was about six feet by three feet and two feet to just store like books and other items and decor. Yeah. I just need you to build me a coffin shoe box (laughs) and... Yeah, it's, it's definitely not for coffin reasons. It needs reasons. to look like the coffins that they have vampires sleep in. That's what I want it to look in. Not just like a rectangle. But but it, it, it it's not for coffin reasons. It's just for... <laughs> books. Books. Book reasons. Book reasons. Yeah. And, and flower vase reasons. What else was... Just random stuff. Random stuff reasons. You not, know... Not for coffin reasons. I would have gone with Christmas tree, personally, because... Yeah, that's about the size of a... That's about the size of a folded up Christmas tree. Not that I would have anybody build a murder box for me. I don't know. Coffin. (laughs) In any case, once he had done it and she had stored the items in it, she asked Flores to transport the box that was nailed shut to a storage depot. And he was like, yeah, sure, let's go. So they went. Oh, God. In any case, on the way, she asked him to stop when they were on the Garden Highway in Sutter County up there, and they just dumped the box in a riverbank in an unofficial dump site. And that wasn't concerning to him after... No, he asked her why, but she was like, ah, oh, fuck it, I don't need it anymore. Like, she she made him build this whole box so she could fill with her treasures, and then she was like, fuck this shit, I don't want it. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah. Somebody found the box. I should hope so. Like, two and a half months later, if that... Oh. Um, in January. So this is in November that they did this, and somebody found it in January. And this is in Cal- Northern California? Yeah. It's so it gets, it gets it's cold in Northern California, Yeah, it gets right? cold, yeah. Okay, so he, he wasn't too decomposed then, right? Because it was in a box, just in a river, obviously some fish and algae and water mm. affected him. So he wasn't in good condition. His body was in bad condition. To the point where they could not identify anything other than the fact that it was an older man. And probably, I would imagine, his grease. He's been in the water. He's been in the water. That's bloat. Ugh. In any case, Fuente kept 
collecting checks for Gilmo. Um, this is, you know, about three months later at this point, and she was then started writing letters to his family saying that he was sick so he couldn't talk to them on the phone. I don't know why people believe this stuff. If anybody ever told me that, like, <laughs> sorry, they can't talk to you. They've been sick for months. I'd be like, you need to go to the fucking hospital. What are yeah, you talking yeah. Let about? Let me drive out and make sure you're okay. Yeah, like, absolutely. I'm so worried and about they're you. only in Oregon. It's not like they're in California and, you know, the, his family is in, like, New York. Mm-hmm. They're five, six hours drive, maybe. It's not bad. You know, it just depends on where they are in Oregon. Like, it can be done. It can be done. Um, she kept doing her room and board thing. She had, like, 30 to 50 tenants. They were all either elderly or addicts of some sort, whether it be drug use or alcoholism. And she was doing really well, like, financially. Mm-hmm. You know, she was collecting all this money. But, you know, it's never, it's never enough. She would take everybody's mail before they saw it and would just give them portions of the money that was sent to them. Mm -hmm. She would keep the rest for herself. And then they would keep whatever money that they had and go and spend it at the bar or on drugs or whatever because they're addicts. Yeah. So because she knew where they were going, she would call the cops to give tips that, hey, there's people doing drugs over here. And then they would get arrested. (laughs) And (laughs) then she'd take the rest of their money. Wow. So she had, like, a really good system. System, yeah. Yeah, she had a really good system uh, going on there. And this, obviously, has lasted for years. You know, she started this in the 40s, and she's still going, and it's the late 80s at this point. So... I think over time she just tweaked and figured out what she could and couldn't get away with. Yeah. Um, which was great. <laughs> they kept telling her, hey, you can't do this. And she kept saying, I'm going to do it uh, anyway. So. Yeah. It was super great. Here's, here's where the line is. And let me just push it a little bit further. Yeah. And uh, wait till you guys are used to it being here, and I'll push it a little bit further. Yeah. That's like if if I tell one of my kids, like, hey, you lost your tablet, they'll try and take somebody else's tablet. Right. Or, you know, like, they'll try and watch TV, and I'm like, no, like, you lost lost all digital screens. Please stop. Yeah. That was my fault for giving you too specific of a thing. Like, I needed to be... Right. In any case, it all finally started building up in November of 1988 when on her property... They found seven bodies. How did this come to to pass? In 1988, a police officer came around to ask about Burt Montoya, who was one of her tenants, who, unfortunately for her, was not like the rest of her tenants, um, and had somebody who was actually missing him and reported it to the police. And when they came around, they noted how awful the smell was and they kind of canvassed and the neighbors were like look it smells so bad at her house that we have to keep our windows closed like we don't know if she's got like a hundred cats over there or what it is like it's gross oh wow yeah it was really gross but Montoya you know had people who cared about him mostly because he was developmentally disabled so obviously he Mm -hmm. had people who had cared for him previously yeah 
and he had schizophrenia, so obviously he would, you know, change very quickly with his patterns and, and go off and do something. So yeah. people were worried about him, and his social worker particularly was like, hey, what is going on? Where is he? Um, so Cabrera came over, and they didn't notice anything unusual inside, but they noticed that the the garden had been dug up. Like, it wasn't, like, grassy and nice. It was dirt. dirt. Um, so he started digging in the garden, Cabrera did, and found a corpse. Uh-huh. Within, like, an hour, he found a corpse. So the next day, you know, a whole crime scene team came out, forensics, all of that, and they dug up the garden, and they found seven corpses in the garden. They actually let Fuente watch <laughs> and then go to a hotel and get coffee, but she didn't. She fled because, of course, of course you would. Why would you let somebody just leave? Like, she watched them dig up all these bodies and was like, hey, can I go somewhere else to get coffee? They, they, <laughs> they didn't escort her or anything. They were, they were just like, yeah, you can dip. Yeah. She right, was guys. she was arrested very quickly because she immediately went to a bar to try and target men to get money to escape. But because they had put her face all over TV, you gotta have a super secret slush fund, the girl. <laughs> it's, it's probably buried in the garden, like the problem. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. They put her her you know her picture all over TV, yeah. and a man she had tried to seduce in a bar like called and tipped them off. Yeah, he was like, oh, I saw that lady. Um, so she was arrested really quickly. That's good. She, you know, they took her to trial, and there were seven people in the garden, and then there was also Gilmouth, which she dumped in a riverbank somewhere, and there was also, I have a list, hold on! Okay, because I have eight fingers up. Oh, no, I understand. And I, I feel like I'm going to run out. Well, you'll see. Um, so, all together, you have... Everson Gilmouth, mm-hmm. Ruth Monroe, mm-hmm. who is the first known victim, mm-hmm. um, Liana Carpenter, Alberto Montoya, Dorothy Miller, Benjamin Fink, James Gallup, Vera Faye Mar- Martin, and Betty Palmer. So there are nine confirmed, but okay. they think that there are up to 15. Oh, wow. Um, including time when she was a nurse's aide. Yeah. That she was, you know practicing on stuff yeah um her victims have been deemed the shadow people because it was people that nobody would really notice or pay attention to which is just the saddest fucking thing but she did end up obviously she went to jail and she got life in prison without the possibility of parole in california um she actually died in 2011 just from being being old you don't see a lot of I already said it. A lot of women serial killers. And so it's kind of interesting to me to see the differences on how from killer to killer people Mm -hmm. behave. And then also like from upbringing and and Mm -hmm. everything else. Like how that accounts to how that person functions. Yeah. Because even with the targeting men and the, the money thing, like that could even be attributed to like a survival thing yeah and like if she hadn't had such a need for survival growing up would it have turned out that way yeah exactly because you know even when both of her parents were alive they were both alcoholic and abusive right um and depending on how many children there were because i can't find a reliable source to say one or the other yeah you know 
obviously food was hard to come by mm -hmm. um, and resources altogether, you know, because if your parents are spending all their money on addictions, then they're not spending money on necessities. Right. So. And the difference between male and female killers, like, I feel like males tend to be more explosive and uh, more dramatic. Whereas with her, like we were saying, she just like toes the line and pushes the line a little bit. And when she gets pushed back, she waits for it to cool off. And then she pushes it again, mm -hmm. waits for it to cool off and pushes it again. And stays under the radar for five decades, you know, yeah. more or less. Like she, she was only picked up for relatively petty crimes. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, they're petty crimes. She's, she's stealing from old, poor people. Relatively. <laughs> But I, I yeah, say, I say relatively. Yeah. No, I think, I think for me it was just like, I think it did start as a need to survive. That it's hard to put myself in that position because, okay, you need to steal to survive. Like, mm -hmm. it's not good, but I get it. Like, it happens. You know, Aladdin does it. Whatever. It's just a loaf of bread. Um, <laughs> but the murder part. Yeah, eventually is, you get to a point where you don't need to do it anymore. Yes, exactly. And at one point, you know, she had a boarding house. Like, she had money. Yeah. She was doing okay. She didn't need to steal on top of that and then murder people when they found out. Yeah. But, you know. Well. Yeah. So, did you know that case? I didn't. Okay. When you start talking about Johannes. Johansson. Johansson. There we go. We got it. We are close. I was thinking of Belganess for a second. Um, and then I realized that was the wrong time frame. Because she had a bunch of different names, but she was also in the, a different part of the country. Well, there are um, several books that are written about or include Dorcia Puente. Uh, if anybody wants to read any of those, you're more than welcome to. She actually had correspondence in the 90s um, with a gentleman who ended up writing a book about her. His name is Bugby. Bugby. I believe so. Let me double check that one. Uh, Shane Bugby did an extensive interview with her over the course of years and sent him recipes. Uh, and he released a book in 2004 called Cooking with a Serial Killer. And it had the interview and 50 recipes that he had sent to her. So, yeah, um, not the book you were thinking of, but definitely a book. But there are many books about her. If you want to read more into it, um, go ahead. If there's something that I missed that you really want us to know, please let me know. Yeah. You know, I don't have all of the answers and all of the information. What? Um, no, God. <laughs> but it's really just to get the cases out there and get them more attention so that, you know, we're all a little bit more careful and you can do your own research on it and figure out what is fascinating about this to you. Yeah. And I'm a librarian. So I always, you know, endorse, do your own research. Yeah. Check please do your own research. Go to the library. Do all of it. Do all of your stuff. Do we have anything else? I know what I'm doing next week, but I'm not going to tell you because I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head. Oh, I thought you were just doing it to be spiteful and I was no, like, no, no. good, let the hate flow through <laughs> you. <laughs> I just, I can't remember his name. Because it's French. Oh. Is it Lafayette? Lafayette? <laughs> you can find us 
pretty much anywhere that you subscribe to podcasts. Yep. We got that going. Yeah, we actually (laughs) just released our first episode last night. Yeah, in real time. In real time. Podcast time, so that was many weeks ago. Yeah. (laughs) So we're excited to see how that goes. But like us, subscribe to us, give us five star ratings because you love us. And share, please share. Yeah, share how. Even if you share it to be like, hey, listen to how dumb they are, just share it. Just get it out there. That's fine. That's fine. I I told my husband, I was like, hey, you want to listen to us being idiots? And he was like, no, I get to do that every time Janessa comes over. (laughs) No, he was like, all right, sure. And uh, what else do we have? We've got Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. All of it is Murder Moms Podcast. I realized in the first episode, I, I referred to all of it as Murder Mom Singular. Oh, oh no, there's no, an S. There's an S. There's, there's two S. of us. We're plural. Plural. Sometimes. Sometimes we, we hit singularity. and. Oh. <laughs> I was like, when do I cease to exist? <laughs> Are you trying to murder me? What is... Okay. Uh, Let me see. Like, subscribe, share. Uh, Sign up for the newsletter. Newsletter, yep. The link is on our Facebook. It's pinned to the top, as well as links to all the different uh, places that we are currently available to listen to. Yeah, and if anything changes, we'll update it. Yeah. But that's it. Thanks for listening. Please like, subscribe, share, you know, email us, whatever it is, if you have any adjustments or any information that wasn't included, please let us know. If you just want to, you know, let us know how you're doing today, also do that. We're here. Yeah. We got mom shit we're doing, but we're here. We can mom you. That's fine. Yeah, I'll be your mom. Well, that was Murder Moms. I am Janessa, and that is Maggie, and we will... See you in two weeks. Two weeks. That's it. I'm glad you said that, because I forgot. (laughs) Bye. Bye.